John chapter 20 is where we're at this morning. Thank you, Daniel. I also want to take a quick look at Mark chapter 8. You know, this is going to be a long sermon when I've got three Bibles up here. Of course, that's pretty normal for me, isn't it? I went ahead and, and to prepare for this morning's message, I went ahead and read all the gospel accounts of the resurrection. And, and it's, there, it's really interesting reading because um, they're a little different. I don't know if you've no noticed that, if you've read all four of them, uh, one right after another. Uh, they are a little different because each, each uh, author really focuses on a little bit different aspect of the re uh, resurrection. And then you have Paul's account, which I'm not even going to get into this morning, but I do want to mention it. Paul's account in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is different as well. And, and so um, see if I can remember this off the top. What, what I did is I did an outline, all right? Uh, I did an outline of the full chronology, the best I understand of the events that followed the resurrection. And I thought, well, this is really a good outline, and, but how do I apply this? And, and so... And I was going to even print it out for a handout, and then I messed it up because I throw my notes in the outline. And then some re for some reason, I don't know what happened. Like This is like at almost 11 o'clock at night, everything disappeared out of my computer, uh, at least that, that particular uh, file did. Um, and I was trying to – I figured you guys, some of you were already asleep, or I was going to call you and blame you, on it, uh, blame you for it. But, but um, so I had to start all over. <laughs> But uh, fortunately, everything was pretty much in my memory. But, but it, the, the, the resurrection, the best as I understand it, and I miss, may miss an event or two, but Jesus rises from the dead very early in the morning, very early in the morning. And Mary and the women, they go to the grave uh, before it's light, and they go to uh, anoint the body. And, and when they are there, they, they meet angels, and to tell them that the Lord has risen and then to go and tell the disciples to meet them, or to meet Jesus in the Galilee. Uh, if you know much about the story, they, they didn't quite make it there that very quickly. They were still hiding out in the upper room, and Jesus actually appeared to them there. So the, the women go back, and they tell the disciples that the Lord has risen. They don't believe it. At least nine of them don't seem to believe it. Two of them get up. Peter and John, and they had this foot race that we're going to look at this morning, the infamous foot race to the tomb. Uh, Luke talks about it as well, uh, but mainly John, uh, we have a little more detail in John. They have a foot race, and they see the empty tomb. And they really don't know what to do, and, and, uh, but we'll, we're going to look at that, in, in, like I said, in more detail in a second. Uh, they leave the tomb. Mary of Magdalene is still there, and she's weeping. And, and the Lord appears to her. And from that time, then it appears that the Lord presented himself to the Father in heaven, then came back later on that early evening on the Emmaus Road and appeared to Cleopas and one of his traveling companions, which could have been his wife. The, the, the traveling companion is not named. Somewhere in there it's possible, according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 
that the Lord appeared to Peter, although in 1 Corinthians 15, he could be talking about the restoration of Peter when the Lord appeared to them on the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember that story where Peter uh, was taken aside by Jesus and Jesus, and John's following, John's eavesdropping. You know, what was going on between Peter and John? I would imagine it must have been interesting because in the book of Acts, they end up in jail together. So you can imagine what that, what that must have been like. Um, but but P- the Lord does that work of restoration with Peter there on the Sea of Galilee. Um, but before that, I, I knew I was going to skip one. After the Emmaus Road, the people on the Emmaus Road go back to the disciples. They tell the disciples that the Lord has appeared to them. They don't believe them either. Eventually, the Lord returns and appears to them in the room. Eight days later, eight days later, he uh, appears a second time in the room. They're still in the room. They were supposed to be at the Sea of Galilee by then. And this, uh, eight days later, they're still in the room, and the Lord appears to them a second time for whom? Do you remember? Thomas, a.k.a. Doubting Thomas, all right? So then the third appearance to the disciples is on the Sea of Galilee, and that might be what Paul was talking about, although your mileage may vary and different commentators are going to have different opinions on that. So for the most part, that's the chronology that I can give you off the top of my head that I would have had actually in an outline that I could have even passed out to you. Um, But I do want to look at John 20 this morning, and and, uh, it's... To me, it's, this is just a fascinating account of the resurrection of our Lord. It says in John 20, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, who is the other disciple whom Jesus loved? We all pretty much agree that that is John. And that was the way he liked to refer to himself, uh, which I really actually really love, love that. And you should refer to yourself as the disciple, as, uh, the disciple that Jesus loves. Um, so Mary comes to Peter and to John and, and uh, lets them know that uh, they have taken, verse 2, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they had laid him. Okay, this is Mary's first trip to the tomb. Jesus did not appear to her, apparently, at the first trip, but at the second trip to the tomb. You all follow me so far? And she thought that they had just taken the body. She thought that they had stolen the body, uh, which would have been just uh, a huge violation of Hebrew law and even Roman law. But nonetheless, she thought that they had come and taken the, bi- uh, the body of Jesus, and we do not know where they have laid him. She thinks he's still dead. Get that. She thinks she's still, he, that he is still dead. And Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And then the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. John just had to throw that in there about himself, didn't he? I find that fascinating. But I also find here is the humanness 
Uh, yes, I believe the Bible is inspired. It is the inspired word of God. But I believe that the Bible also is, is given to us in such a way that God works with the particular author who writes the particular book. And somehow he, <laughs> the Holy Spirit allowed John just to kind of throw that in there and say, yeah, uh, uh, he outran Peter and he came to the tomb first. And so John, when, he, uh, uh, when he's stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, that is the Lord's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. I, I, to me, that just fascinates me, that picture that is drawn for us here because you have what is probably like a flat pedestal that the body was laid on, a flat pedestal, and the head would be on one end, obviously, and the feet would be on another end on this pedestal. And it is a picture of what? It's a picture of the Holy of Holies. It's a picture of the holy place, the lid that went over the Ark of the Covenant that was a flat place, and an angel was on both sides facing inwardly. And the, 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 that place of the Ark of the Covenant, that lid, be the space over the lid, below the angels, so that air space that was there was the place that God said, that's where I'm going to meet with people. That's where I'm going to meet with my people. It was the body of Jesus Christ once resurrected that now enables us to be able to meet with God, to be able to have a right relationship with God, and to be able to have fellowship with God. And, and so, so Mary stoops down, and he sees, she sees these two angels. And, um, and then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they had taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they had laid him. But when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Boy, that is, that's an important question. Who are you seeking? Who are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we consider yet once again this familiar story, yet this important story that is really the benchmark 
and even the capstone of our faith. Because we confess this morning again, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain. So we thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. We thank you for rising from the dead. And we pray by your spirit now that you would speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So I'm not going to dance around too much with with, uh, some of the other gospel accounts of the resurrection. But I I do want to bring your attention first very quickly to the book of Mark. Uh, The book of Mark in chapter 8 where Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi and he asked a similar question to what he asked of Mary with whom do you seek? And he asked the question in Caesarea Philippi to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And and it's it's interesting because the responses that they get, um, that Jesus gets from what the crowds were saying about him is in, in chapter uh, 8, verse 28. It says, so they answered, some say that you're John the Baptist, uh, but some say you're Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets. It's interesting because they gave religious answers. Religious answers, all three of them were wrong. Close, but no cigar, right? And, and <laughs> they went deep in their understanding of who the Lord was, who the Lord is. But they didn't go deep enough. Which We see this again in in this narrative that we just wrote. I'll, I'll bring this out to you in a minute. They went deep in their understanding, but they didn't go deep enough. And then, of course, Jesus asked the disciples the question, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter in one of his best moments, he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus underscores that when, when he tells um, when, he, when, he, when he tells him, when Peter tells him, you are the Christ, it, it is interesting that in the Mark version of this particular exchange, it says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one. In one of the other gospels, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And in verse 31 of Mark 8, after the confession that thou art the Christ, that is, thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God, after that it says that Jesus, in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. In other words, they couldn't misunderstand what he was saying. He wasn't speaking in parables. He essentially said to them, I'm going to be given over to the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be in the grave for three days, but I'm going to rise again. He says it very plainly to them. And Peter, Peter begins to take him aside and rebuke him, it tells us. Peter didn't like the story of the cross, at least not then. 
he wanted to follow a Messiah that was going to boot the Romans, take over Jerusalem, and he was looking at a real nice position probably in the Messianic kingdom. This idea of the Messiah coming and dying on a cross for the sins of the world didn't make any sense to him, at least not then. And, and Jesus responds to the rebuke of Peter. And it says, verse 33, by turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. The message of the cross that Jesus gave his disciples a few times in his ministry was not something they wanted to hear. And because it was not something they wanted to hear, it became something that they didn't pay much attention towards. Now, an example I can give you is, is that when, when, I was, um, when I was in high school and even in college even, I had to take this class. It was called it was called um, algebra. Uh, other than doing, uh, uh, then figuring out square footage and areas, it, to me, I, d I don't understand why I would ever use it. And and I I, I didn't want to hear the class. In fact, I slept through all of the class, um, or I just. Um, but anyway, uh, I didn't want to hear it so. I didn't bring it into my understanding. I didn't bring it into my learning. I, I, I probably can't tell you anything that I learned in, in my high school algebra class because I wasn't interested because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted to take a humanities class, which I ended up doing. But, but um, I think that's we are that way. When at times, we encounter things that we don't want to hear and so we don't absorb them into our understanding. It's almost, I hate this illustration, but I'll use it anyway. Like the person who plugs their ears and, and, and says, la, 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 I can't hear you, right? You know, um, which when people do that, it drives me crazy. But anyway, um, so now you know another thing you can do to bother me. But anyway, um, they didn't want to hear it. And it, it, it fascinates me because um, here you have 11 disciples that are kind of holed up in fear, hiding out in a room. And here it is Sunday morning, so it's right after the Sabbath is over, it's Sunday morning, which would actually be the Feast of First Fruits because this was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread also called Passover. Passover is one day, but it was associated with also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And both of the feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was actually a seven-day feast, and both of the feasts were called either Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they were used interchangeably. They're hiding out in a room. It's Sunday morning, and who goes out to the grave but women? who apparently, and I don't know that I'm reading, I hope I'm not reading into this, but, but as I've read this, I, I, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking the women were the ones here who had all the courage. And, and they were willing to go to the grave. 
and to, to, now they didn't expect to find it empty, but they went to the grave to, in order to further anoint the body for its burial because it was kind of a rush thing that they did because when they buried Jesus, they were going into, into the Passover and, and uh, the sun was going down. And, and so they had, to, uh, they had to leave the gravesite uh, so they could, uh, because it was considered a Sabbath day and so that they could observe the Passover. So they didn't quite finish the job of, of, of anointing his body for burial. So they were going to go back and finish that. And uh, obviously none of them were musicians because it said they got up and they got there before dark. Um, but, 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 but nonetheless, um, some of you got that. But anyway, um, they go and there's no body. And they see an empty grave an empty tomb. They run back and they tell the disciples. And what's interesting about this is some of the other gospel accounts tell us that the, God, that the disciples did not believe them. They didn't believe them. They didn't want to take algebra, right? They didn't want to. They didn't, they didn't see the usefulness of it, so why, why bring it into my understanding? Why bring it into my thinking? Why bring it into, into my, in, in essentially file it into my brain as something I, I, I have learned? And it fascinates me, and, and, and I don't know why, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm left just to speculate, but it fascinates me that not all 11 got up and ran to the tomb. Did they have too much Passover wine the night before? I don't know. I mean, what, what was going on? And you have to think that it's possible that the crucifixion may, may, not did, may have impacted John and Peter much more deeply than the other nine. John was there at the cross. Where was Peter? Peter had denied the Lord. He was, he was probably somewhere weeping his eyes out. And, and it, 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 it's interesting to me, it's, it's almost to where it's troubling in some regards. Now, because we are talking about the, the other uh, disciples who all of them became martyrs for the Lord. All of them became really giants of, of, of the faith. But at this time, they don't believe. Even when you've got the women coming back, and no doubt they were excited or afraid or confused, um, the energy level in that room must have just shot through the roof. And it's as if, again, I'm taking some liberty here, it is as if the other nine just kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. I found that fascinating. And so you have this foot race between, between Peter and, and, and John. I, I, I imagine John to be somebody in his late teens, probably was in his late teens, probably physically fit in the prime of his life. I always, I've always imagined Peter to be a bit older, maybe a bit heavier, uh, not able to run as fast. Um, 
Maybe that's why he ended up in the tomb, because he had trouble stopping once he, he got there. I don't know. But um, his momentum carried him in. But it, it tells us that, that as they run for the tomb, and, and John gets to the tomb, verse 5, and he's stooping down, and he's looking, yet he does not go in. And so he saw what was going on. Now, this word, it's interesting because I want to play a little bit with this word saw. John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now, this word saw is an interesting word because it's the word uh, blepo, which means to clearly see a material object. Like right now, because I have glasses on, I'm, I'm clearly able to see the front row here. Uh, to be able to see a material object. That's, that's all it's saying, is, is that John saw the material objects of the linen cloths. He saw the grave clothes still in the tomb. There was really not much going on in him trying to process, what is it that I saw? Peter shows up. He goes in. And he sees the linen cloth. This in verse 6, and Peter, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. This word saw in the Greek is a different Greek word. It is the Greek word theoreo, which means to think about something, to contemplate, to observe, to scrutinize. So he's seeing the linen cloths, and he's kind of like, what? what does this mean? John saw and just looked at it, and it was as if a thought did not enter into his head. Peter sees it, and he begins to start to think about what this might, in fact, be uh, a representation of. What is really going on here? Because if someone had come and stolen his body, do you think they would have spent that time just to lay the linen cloths out nice, particularly the napkin that was over the head of Jesus, to have folded that neatly and placed it uh, aside the linen cloths. He's starting to think about what this might mean. So John decides he's going to take a step in. He goes in and he saw and he believed. A different Greek word again for saw here is the Greek word eido, E-I-D-O. It means to understand to perceive the significance of something, to understand, to perceive the significance of something. He sees the linen cloth without the body of Jesus there, and he recognizes and he realizes that this must mean that the Lord has resurrected. Amen. He believed. Essentially sealing his foundation, his salvation because of his faith. You kind of wonder what Mary was doing in all this. I think she was still running to the tomb. She's coming back for a second trip. John outran Peter. I think John and Peter also outran Mary. That's just my thought. Because Mary shows up in this scene again. They, they see the empty tomb, Peter and John, and then it tells us in verse 10, the disciples went away again to their own homes. 
One went away, I believe, convinced of the resurrection. The other went away still trying to process everything that was going on. Mary shows up at the tomb a second time. And when Jesus reveals himself to her, in verse 16, when Jesus says, Mary, it says, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, and Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. In other words, Mary probably put him in a bear hug and wouldn't let go of him. In Matthew 28, Verse 9, it's, it, to me, it's a puzzling, but it's a little bit different narrative. It talks about how Jesus not only appeared just to Mary, but to the other women. And it says, so they came. They is a plural. It's a plural pronoun here. They came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, think about what that is describing. Here are these women. They have seen Jesus, and they're holding him by the feet, which means they are prostrate before him in an act of worship. A complete act of humility. A complete act of submission. And, and so, when Jesus appears to the 11, which incidentally, Paul still refers to them as the 12 in 1 Corinthians 15, but later on that evening, when Jesus appears to them, first thing he says to them is what? Do you remember? Peace unto you. And it could have been because they were scared. They were freaked out. Now, if Jesus appeared right here, right now, I, I think I would be a little bit unnerved. Okay? And I think he would have to say to me, and probably to us, peace be unto you. What's interesting is that, that Mary doesn't seem to show that sense of, of anxiety and, and, and fear as much as she shows this incredible sense of adoration. Because I've thought about this all week, and I don't have an answer, so I probably shouldn't even share this with you, but I'm going to anyway. Why did the Lord appear to Mary first? She was Mary Magdalene. She had been delivered of seven demons, according to the New Testament. Too much has been forgiven. Much love is also expressed. And perhaps she really understood the depravity of her own sin and understood the greatness of the deliverance that the Lord Jesus Christ had done in her life. And perhaps, and she was there at the cross as well, but perhaps she had such an incredible love for him because of what he had done for her that the Lord knew that he, one, could entrust himself to her, and that secondly, the Lord honored her by her being the first person that he revealed himself to as the risen Lord. 
And it's interesting to me, and I'm going to stir, I'm stirring it up now. He tells other gospel accounts. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. You can look later. He tells her to go tell the disciples to leave and go to the Galilee. Now, in that culture, a woman never told a man to do anything. I'm just going to let you play with that one. To me, that, that speaks volumes on so many different levels. And, and, and I, I think sometimes we, we, don't, we don't appreciate, in the church, we don't appreciate women like we should. But that's just me. But your mileage may vary. I find this really fascinating because who, what are we like? Who are we like? What, how do we respond? I'm almost done. I just want to throw this out for you to think through. What are we like when we see or hear Jesus? What are we like when we see or, he, see or hear Jesus? Now, I, 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 was, I was asked this recently because I talk, about, I, I, I talk a lot about hearing God. Um, and so I, I finally was able to map it out a little bit. I do not hear an audible voice, okay? I really wish I would, but I don't hear an audible voice. I get some type of an impulse. That I think the God is that the Lord is speaking to me, that the Spirit is speaking to me. I get some type of an impulse, some type of impression, and then I stop and I recognize. I stop and I listen to that. I stop, I recognize, and then I listen to what I'm being said because I'll tell you what, not every impulse I get is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes an impulse I get is the enchilada I had the night before. And I've had people tell me that they've gotten some kind of impulse where the Spirit told them this, this, and that, and it's so totally contrary to Scripture as heresy. And they probably should have had an inch a lot of the night before. Anyway, but, but I, I get an impulse. I stop and I recognize, and then I listen. Then I decide. What is it that you're saying, Lord? And then I act. So when you see, when you hear, because all you do, I think, I hope, in some way, some form, some sense, get some type of an impulse from the Holy Spirit, particularly when the Lord is doing something beyond your expectations, nobody thought that Jesus would rise from the dead. And that's an important lesson to glean from this. God does not live in our box. I think sometimes he condescends to us and stays within our, our framework, yes. But he does not live in our box. You have these three stages of seeing and comprehending. Seeing and just seeing it for what it is. Seeing it and then seeing it a, a, a second time, the theoreo, when you are thinking about something, you are scrutinizing something. And then thirdly, the ido, when you see something and you understand the significance of that which you are seeing and you believe. See, that's the listen, decide, and act phase that I just mentioned. 
So are we like the other nine who didn't bother coming to the tomb? Are we like Peter and John who look and we see and we have to process? Or are we sometimes like Mary who just did not want to let Jesus go? I think of that also at times of the battle, the, the wrestling match between Jacob and the angel of the Lord at Penuel, the river Jabbok, where Jacob grabbed a hold of the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let go of you until what? Do you remember the story? Until you bless me. Do you engage with the spirit in that way? Like Mary did, you know, you know, Jesus had to get her to let go of him so he could ascend to the father because it would have been a really quick trip for Mary. Right. I mean, think about it. How do we engage? With the spirit of God. When things are not the way we want them to be, expect them to be when they're beyond our expectations they went from the height, the, the depths of disappointment to the height of elation just in one day, really. But what I love about this story, and with this I'm going to close, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Jesus in this story was the faithful one. See, Mary didn't even have it figured out at first. No one knew the plan of God but God. Even though, I, that's why I took you to Mark 8. He tried to tell them. He tried to tell them. But sometimes they were slow of hearing, just like sometimes we are slow of hearing. But we have a gracious, and we have a loving, and we have a persistent and we have a faithful God that cuts through even our own spiritual nonsense.